0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Come, Holy Ghost, fill the hearts of thy faithful, and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created, and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray, O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Ghost, grant us by that same Spirit to be truly wise, and ever to rejoice in its consolation.
1: Through Christ our Lord. Amen. Hello and welcome to What Catholics Believe. I am Thomas Nagley. I'm here with Father William Jenkins. He is a traditional Catholic priest of the Society of Saint Pius V, and he also serves as the pastor of Immaculate Conception Church right here in Norwood, Ohio. Hello, Father. How are you this evening? Very fine, Tom. Thank you. And you? Just the same, Father. It's good to see you. Yes, you too, uh, Father. As usual, any prayer requests tonight before we get into our topics?
0: Yes, and uh, as always, too many to mention personally. If you. If you would just uh, keep in your mind and keep in your hearts uh, for prayer, uh, all of those on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list and also the Immaculate Conception prayer list, okay, they coincide largely. Um, What is posted on the Immaculate Heart of Mary prayer list often comes to us, the Immaculate Conception prayer list and, and vice versa. So we're all essentially praying for the same literally hundreds of people at any given moment. So I do ask you to please keep in your prayers all of those there. But in particular, I I ask prayers for uh, Paul Riley and his family. Paul's still got a long road to recovery from the uh, auto accident. struck, you know, uh, coming to the aid of another motorist. So uh, please keep Paul and his family in your prayers. And I also ask you to keep in your prayers, Nancy and Lori, for recovering... From serious injuries and and falls, and also their cousin, uh, Monsignor Handworker. I I give the the French, the uh, German translation, but I'm I'm sure Handworker is how they would pronounce his name in in English in this country. And Monsignor has uh, cancer, so please keep him in your prayers as well. (laughs) And there are so many others we need to pray for. Just this evening, we got a call about a little girl, one year old, who was. Injured in an automobile accident, Uh, they were so concerned uh, that they took her, they they life-flighted her to the hospital, but they've determined that she doesn't have any life-threatening injuries. Uh, So, but please pray for little Lena and her family also. Uh, But again, all of those who we've committed to the Immaculate Heart of Mary, pray for them. Our Lady knows them all, each and every one of them, loves each and every one of them. And uh, your prayers will be taken very seriously and used for good.
1: Mm-hmm. Perhaps also, Father, we could pray to uh Saint Raphael whose feast day is today. To, um, it is to a feast day of Saint
0: Raphael too, yeah, absolutely. We need Saint Raphael's guidance here. He's the patron saint of uh well, his name means uh, medicine or or healing of God. And since we are being uh let's shall we say, um the medical medical business, because it is a business now, right? Is uh uh, weaponized, you might say. Uh, we really need St. Raphael's help here. We definitely need his help. And also, uh, he's a patron saint of travelers too. Yeah. So um, I ask you, you know, that's good, good thought, Tom, we need to ask St. Raphael's protection in our country. Actually, we should be praying every day for the protection of the three, uh, the, the three archangels, uh, St. Raphael, St. Gabriel, and St. Michael. And I ask everyone to pray each day, 10 Our Fathers, and 10 times the prayer to St. Michael the Archangel, specifically for our country, that God would have mercy on our country and its people. 10 Our Fathers and 10 prayers to St. Michael the Archangel. I ask everyone to join me in doing that every day, if you would. Appreciate that very much. We should also, uh, while well, we're on the subject, pray for this one state of Ohio because we have Issue 1. At Issue 2, um, the leftists keep hammering and hammering away. They don't go away, right? If people knocked on the door of heaven as furiously and as continuously as the leftists knock on the, on the gates of hell, <laughs> um, more people, many more people would be saved. But they are trying to get this basic, but, but in effect a result in unrestricted abortion in the state of Ohio. And also uh, recreational, so-called recreational marijuana use, and it really is recreational insofar as it, is a wreck. it wrecks creation. Um, and uh, it does enormous damage. So they're, they're trying to get both of these. Uh, approved for the state of Ohio this November 7th please pray uh that they don't succeed mm-hmm. in in uh corrupting this this state yeah and uh pray for the, you know, so many lives yet to be given and hopefully born lives meant to be given and not to be taken by abortion so uh pray for them now too
1: mm-hmm. Well, lots to pray for, Father. There's some. Um, there's there's lots going on in the world and the church right now. Many different topics that we could cover. Um, I think one of the uh, foremost uh, questions right now in a lot of people's mind is the situation in the Middle East um, and the mm-hmm. war um, that's that's taking place, going on over there. There's a lot of that this could escalate into World War Three, there's already been a lot of talk of that. a lot of talk of the United States getting involved in (laughs) uh, the conflict in the Middle East. So um, father, what, what, uh, what's the Catholic position on this, the situation in in the Middle East? And should we as Americans be concerned um, about this kind of devolving into World War Three?
0: Well, uh, we should always be somewhat concerned about that because it could I mean, we look at the the event that sparked um, is 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 said to have sparked World War I, right? the, first great, the Great War as they called it, the assassination of the Archduke, right? And um, it seemed to be an isolated event and yet because of all of the treaties and, and so on, it grew and grew and grew into a, a, a war that engulfed the world. Could, um, could the, you know, the, the Hamas uh, invasion of Israeli territory, the massacre of 1400, 1500 people, uh, civilians uh by drug crazed hamas people who were promised that if they could bring hostages back with them they would be rewarded with ten thousand american dollars and uh and a free apartment by the by the hamas uh, terrorist group you know um could that could that actually spark it could and uh there are people who are actually suggesting that that was the whole idea yeah there are people are suggesting right now that uh, because of the Israeli security, the fact that the kibbutzes actually received early warning about this invasion, uh, the fact that um, the nation of Egypt, Egypt had formally warned Israel about something big about to happen, the fact that they'd received these warnings, and because of the uh, high tech security of the Israeli uh, defense system <laughs> People are having a hard time believing that this uh, was not um, allowed to happen by the Israeli government uh, for the sake of using it as a, uh, as a, uh, just a, a pretext, as you were, or a, <clears throat> some kind of excuse to invade uh, and to uh, basically, uh, you know, launch some kind of a military action, which could, you know, mushroom into a world war. Uh, once uh, the, the threats of other nations are, get involved, like Iran, for example, uh, it could it could uh, spiral into a world war, World War III. But I, I really don't think it's going to happen. Th- there are those who are concerned about this, uh, those who believe the globalists actually... Are behind this, uh, with the cooperation of um, some say the the IDF and some say the you know Israeli government. Anyway, there are those who are saying this that it was meant to purposely uh, incite a war. Uh, could it be? Uh, it could be certainly, but I don't. I actually don't think it's going to lead to World War Three. I, I actually see the scenario playing out more as uh, Monsignor Robert Hugh Benson portrayed it in his book, The Lord of the World, <clears throat> in uh, his book, which was published in 1907, uh, the same year that Pope the X condemned the errors of modernism, actually. Um, in his book, uh, *The the, um, the Lord of the World, Monsignor Benson talked about the world being perched on the edge of world war now notice um monsignor benson's book actually um was published seven years before there was a first world war and even that was only called the great war wasn't even referred to as the first world war until there was a second world war (laughs) so um, so monsignor benson was uh, actually somewhat prophetic in saying yes in his novel the world was in fact in danger of a massive worldwide conflagration between East and West and uh, there there burst upon the scene a politician named Julian Felsenberg who actually uh, began traveling to the capitals of the various nations and talking to the leaders of various nations and actually um, you might say, uh, "What is it, say?" De-escalated the situation and saved the world from imminent danger of world war and absolute destruct- destruction. Right? Okay. They were even talking about the massive destruction to follow, as though they were, you know, Monsignor Benson was aware of nuclear nuclear warfare. Even his his novel at the time was considered very futuristic. Um, But I think he saw something in uh, realizing that there would appear a a figure on the world stage who would um, actually bring the world back from the edge of war. Um, And he would be hailed by the nations of the world, hailed by the peoples of the world as their savior. And because of his uh, great talents and his great charm, uh, and so on, the whole world would basically bow to him. And we know who that would be. Uh, as I say, that Julian Felsenberg he, he introduced is, was the Antichrist in his novel, right? Oddly enough, he had a, uh, an abbas priest named Mr. Francis, who uh, actually was the one who uh, designed and orchestrated the worship services for Mother Earth Goddess. brings to mind uh, Pachamama in the Vatican a little bit. But uh, in any case, um, so I I think that Monsignor Benson was not just uh, speculating or thinking of some kind of dramatic theme that might sell a novel. I, I do think there are aspects of the book that really were prophetic. And it might be that we are approaching the scenario that he refers to. I'm just speculating myself, obviously. But um, one can see that the Antichrist could make his appearance on the world stage in this way, as the great peacemaker who saved mankind from um, all the terrors of uh, mutual annihilation. Yeah so it, it could be it, it comes down to that we have no matter what the story is though we, we all have to pray as though um uh, you know this is this is all happening because we have offended God, we are at odds with him, we have rejected Christ the king, and we have to pray that God will accept our repentance and our and restore us to to, to him to his grace It's the only way it's the only solution for this yeah
1: father another question that comes up is uh, where uh, what is the state of, uh, of freedom of freedom of speech in, in America today because um, you know even talking about these these very things that we're talking about um, I uh, sometimes can get uh, certain individual channels kicked off of YouTube say for example this' <laughs> just one small example but uh, there, there are so many more um, Things we could talk about in that there's there just recently the, the case of, of someone uh, apparently getting sentenced to several, mm-hmm. seven months in jail over a, a meme that they posted regarding Hillary mm-hmm. Clinton. Um, there are other things that you mentioned, issue one. There are some uh, free speech issues going on with issue one right now we could talk about, but there are so many, um, so many other examples we could give. But what's the state of free speech in America today?
0: Well, the big media doesn't seem to uh, recognize <clears throat> the, the uh, First Amendment and uh, freedom of speech. Doesn't seem to have any regard for it and doesn't seem to be bound by it legally or morally. If you do not have uh, approved speech, if you use unapproved speech, then you're going to be censured, right? They call it misinformation, but basically what it is is just censorship of ideas that they don't like or that are not woke or that are not uh, approved by the powers that be. I, I understand that in Canada, the uh, the chaplains of the Canadian military services have been told not to use the word God yeah. in their in their talk, right? As chaplains, um, there are some who are protesting that. I would think they all would protest it, but this is just out oh, and no, out censorship by um, by basically those who are anti God. What else could it be, really? And uh, so freedom of speech is under attack right now and um, it's part of the big picture, unfortunately. The big picture we're facing right now, you know, people are asking, is freedom of speech dying in America? I've heard people say, yes it is. You mentioned the case of Douglas Mackey, who back in 2016 um, had posted a meme about Hillary Clinton. It was Everyone knew, you know, that this was just a, a joke. You know, uh, wasn't the Babylon Bee, but it, it had that kind of air about it. And um, ironically, there was another person, uh, and that's a, a young black woman, who posted something almost identical to it. And yet, Douglas Mackey was singled out by the Justice Department for prosecution. He just um, finished a three-week trial in federal court, was found guilty of interfering with potential voters' rights. Now, there's no evidence that any actual voter was swayed or influenced by this meme, to vote or not to vote. There's no evidence that anyone was actually affected by this in any way, and yet he was sentenced, he was found guilty and sentenced to seven months in prison, in federal prison, for having posted a meme. Now, if that isn't an attack on the freedom of speech, and again, we see the rejection of the United States Constitution. Flagrant, flagrant rejection of the United States Constitution by those who are vowed to uphold it. And since, uh, since Hamas so savagely attacked Israel, or Israelis, and some Americans actually, quite a few Americans who were there at the time, and by the way, um, you know, Pro-Palestinian mobs have been roving the cities, notably Minneapolis, and uh, just recently. And then you have the pro-Israeli pundits and so on who are duking this out in, in the social media and even on the streets. And, uh, you know, there is no justification for doing what Hamas did. And there's no justification for targeting civilian populations and slaughtering them there's no justification for doing that. I don't care who's doing it, whether it's our side or their side, it is a crime, it is a massive crime. And um, there are certain rules of of conflict that we have to follow and it shows how severely the world has degenerated when people are actually standing up. On our college campuses, uh, in our lecture halls, in our even our halls of government and cheering on the slaughter of civilians whether it be you know well they all they all claim it's it's some kind of retaliation retribution and you know one side or the other is always claiming well this is only right because of what you did to us there's no escape from that vortex except Christianity except true Christianity that's our Catholic our traditional Catholic faith because our Lord forbids our Lord absolutely forbids vengeance being motivated by vengeance. He he absolutely prevents it. He requires that we love our enemies. And so, um, that's a far cry from the hadith, the the sayings of the prophet Muhammad, who said, vengeance is the law of Allah. Right? It's not just Allah um, permits vengeance, it's his law. Right? Vengeance. So, um, this is what we're dealing with. Right? Uh, the eye for the eye, the tooth for the tooth. Vengeance is the law of the religion of, of Mohammed. Um, and then, but it's all due to a, a rejection of Christ, a rejection of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what has left us to our to our vengeful thinking and our venge, vengeance in action. Um, and so, you know, the, the pro-Palestinians and the pro-Israelis would like to silence each other. And... Um, would like to shame each other into silence. Um, have there been atrocities? Have there been injustices committed? Well, certainly there have been. Vengeance is not the answer. And of course, then you have the, the January 6th question, which is going to, of course, be very... Uh, there's an endless controversy. You have people who actually went to Washington, D.C. thinking that they could help prevent an insurrection. They thought they were witnessing an inter- insurrection happening before their very eyes. And they went there to voice, to to raise their voice against it, and to protest what they saw was an actual insurrection. And of course now they're hunted down, and they are accused of all kinds of things. I don't know how many of them, I think, up until the Proud Boys convictions, I don't know that any of them were actually convicted of insurrection. They were convicted of other things. I don't think anybody was convicted of insurrection. And I'm not even sure. I'd have to go back and check on what the Proud Boys, so-called, were convicted for. But this is obviously uh, a a matter of silencing them. Silencing them, burying them alive in in, in federal prison to prevent them from from speaking and to terrify anybody who might dare to, to, uh, to speak out. And if anyone is charged, they're offered a plea deal. And the plea deal, uh, well, the, you know, out of sheer terror for what the um, the true insurrectionists might do, you know, they're 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 afraid to actually challenge that, and so they'll accept a plea deal. And unfortunately, with that, they use that then to try to gain evidence, whatever evidence they that they can call against others, against other people. There are actually those online and this just came out actually there's a squad of antifa people who are devoted to tracking down all the data on those who are in uh, in washington on january 6 trump supporters and they are the ones who actually are feeding all of this information to the fbi the doj such that some uh some prosecutors even boasted that their entire case rests upon Information that was provided from these Antifa researchers, right, who are dedicated to to find and and see that every one of these people uh, is punished, you know. So this is this is justice, uh, United States of America. This is Joe Biden justice now. So in any case. Um, who knows? Maybe they're being paid too. Like we might read in the newspaper in a week that they're actually being paid for this data. We, nothing was said about that, but it wouldn't be surprising under the circumstances. So anyway, um, this is what's happening with freedom of speech in America right now. Um, <clears throat> but the moral of the story is, uh, I think if we're being squelched in our public speak, our public discourse, it's because we haven't done enough speaking to God in prayer, I think again, the answer must be that we must learn to be prayerful and to realize that you know, our, our talk with people and against people and all the other things we say uh, the blasphemies, the cursing, the swearing and the profanity and all the rest in our, our language, the injustice in our speech and so on, all of it ends up against us so if this is God's judgment against us that is striking us now it should move us in all humility to say, I'd better clean up my act in terms of my speech and appreciate the fact that I can actually go to God in prayer and I really need to do that. So I need to pick up my rosary, remember the mysteries of the, of the life of our Lord and prayerfully you know, uh, express my faith, my hope, my love for him. And uh, for every word I say to a person, I should say 100 words to Almighty God in prayer. Uh, then we'd see some good things happening. We always have to look at this from the spiritual point of view. And ultimately, only there can we find the reason behind why this is happening. It's not just, uh, as St. Paul said in the in last Sunday's epistle to the Ephesians, it's not just flesh and blood. Does it work here? There are uh, powers of darkness in high places. We're again fighting against principalities and powers. These are spiritual forces here. We need to turn to the spiritual forces that have placed themselves at our disposal. Our guardian angels, the uh, the, the archangels, all of, all of God's angels. We have to call upon them. And we have to call upon the God who, who created them and asked, and placed them largely at our service. We need to call upon Almighty God.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, Father, uh, perhaps we can move from that. Um, uh, there, there's Worldly, more worldly current events to uh, to to the state of the church and in um, particular the the Novus Ordo Church. There's still the uh, Francis's synod on synodality going on. I believe we're we're um, coming quickly to the co- conclusion of that. But uh, Father, could you give us any kind of update on the synod? What exactly is going on here? That seems every day there's there's new articles, even in the secular press, that's coming out about this uh, this synod um, on synodality. A lot of people want to know, like, is, is this is this just a continuation of Vatican II? Is this actually another, um, a totally new revolution that's taking place in the Novus Ordo Church? What is going on? This
0: well, as some of the leaders of the synod said, this is going deeper into Vatican II, and some would say this is going to be like the court, the the, the, court is, the what, what you call the crown of Vatican II, yeah. right? It's like putting the the. Uh, the, the last great stone, in like, like like the top of the pyramid that's missing, the Pyramid of Giza, putting the stone on the on, on Vatican II. And um, they would therefore consider it to be kind of a completion of Vatican II. But you said, we're approaching rapidly the end of the Synod, and there's no such thing, because this is the permanent revolution. This is what they call the uh, la revolution of permanence, right? This, this is the revolution that is supposed to be ongoing. Like Vatican II, you can't say, but well, we're approaching the end of Vatican II. Vatican II is a gift, in the German sense, poison, that keeps on giving, right? And so it will be with the Synod. So even after they they send everybody home from the Synod, the damage will be done, and we'll find the festering uh, of the the Synod going on, and producing the Synodal Church that Francis has touted as the new church of the third millennium, uh, which is not the church of the second millennium millennium, or the first millennium. In other words, it's not the Catholic church. It's something new that Francis himself and his buddies have created. Um, Colonel Schönborn Schönborn of Vienna said it very well. He's a a known radical. He's been a known radical for a long, long time now. And um, if I'm not mistaken, I thought it was maybe John Paul II who put him in place. I'd have to go check that out but uh at the cardinal archbishop of of uh, of vienna he obviously has a certain amount of standing and clout in the new order and has a certain ability to speak for it and uh, he recently pronounced he's he's had actually celebrations of lgbtq all that in his in his cathedral okay so he's very much invested in the in the uh, ligabet, uh the whole scene of seeing that come into the foreground at the synod, and come into its its own, so to speak, in the Novocero Church here, be legitimised. Um, he was recently asked about that, and this is at the synod, and he said, "Well, you know, the catechism about this being evil can be changed." He said, "He said Francis has already done that once." He said. Francis has already changed the Catechism to say that capital punishment is intrinsically evil, right? The Church was mistaken for the centuries in the past, which is a total rejection of the ordinary magisterium of the Church. That's heretical in its own right. Okay, But he's right. He says Francis has changed the Catechism to say that uh, even the Church in her past was wrong in, in saying that capital punishment could be anything other than evil because the church in the past said it was legitimate and the nations had the right to use it to protect their societies for those who were guilty of capital crimes. So um, but this is what Scho- Schoenborn said he said that because Francis has already changed the catechism once he can change it again and again and again actually but he could change it again for the LGBTQ, for the homosexuals. He could change it to say, the church taught in the past that this is wrong, but now we know this is right. And Francis can say, just as he said with the capital punishment, now the spirit is telling him, Francis, is revealing to him that it's correct, it's right, it's okay, it's moral, even though and despite the church's teaching of the past. Now, Schoenberg actually said that. He said that it's up to the pope to decide basically what the catechism should say. He can change it however he wants, and whatever he wants, that's magisterium, and that's how it is. Now, this is simple, out-and-out, sheer modernism, of course, and um, it is heretical, right, what he's saying. (laughs) But uh, it's at the point now where even the Novus Ordo conservative Catholics they hear the word, well, that's heretical, and they just take it as though you're talking about rainy weather or a, a bit of indigestion, you know. But this is heresy, and this is what is going on in the synod. This is what is ruling the synod right now. So we're going to see come out of this synod, uh, some very, very evil things. It's like a Pandora's box um, that uh, Vatican II basically. Uh, basically loaded up this box and it's being opened now at the Synod and what's going to come out of this is Francis's Church and it's not the Catholic Church it's the anti-Catholic Church
1: Mm -hmm. mm-hmm could some good possibly come out of this though because it seems um, you know that Francis the more and more radical that he gets this new church that he's creating uh, more and more radical church uh, it seems that the the lines are being a little more clearly drawn and it seems that um more and more i mean we keep saying this but it seems more and more um members of the nova Scotia church are beginning to speak up even if they are confused don't exactly know what what to do they know that something is wrong it seems more and more of them do and they're beginning to at least attempt to speak up and say something about it um, maybe even offer a, a solution even if it is misguided it seems that there are many of goodwill, who know that something is wrong and are at least mm-hmm. attempting to do something about it. Do you think that that's a good result that could come and out? And they're
0: doing it. They're unthinkable. They're actually looking at Francis, and thinking that that's where the problem resides. Mm-hmm. Uh, five, mm-hmm. ten years ago, there, there were people who would have been horrified if you suggested that Francis or you know any of the Novissimo Pontiffs would be responsible for the chaos in the Church and the degradation and the loss of faith. But many of those now are actually questioning themselves, saying they're raising the question: Could Francis really be the Pope, or could he be an, a non-Pope, or even an anti-Pope? Um, people are asking that question now. Archbishop Vigano, for example, others are asking this question as though it's a legitimate question. People who just a year ago might have been horrified that you even raised the question and said you can't even you can't even think that or question that, you know. Um, it used to, well, with the Society of St. Pius X, they used to label you a state of if you even raised the question, the possibility. I'd like to think that members of the Society of St. Pius X themselves, really, uh, do have that question uh, in their mind. Is this, is this really uh, possible that a pope can do and say the things that Francis is doing mm. and still be the successor of... Peter and the Vicar of Christ on Earth. Uh, very legitimate questions. Uh, there are those who are quite convinced it's impossible, and they're quite convinced that Francis is not and cannot be the Pope. <clears throat> those, well, we've talked about this before, Tom. Of course, a number of times. Uh, you know, there are those who point at the, those who say Francis is not the Pope. And they point at these people and say, "What? You're questioning Christ. You're saying that Christ's promise has failed and the Church is finished." Well, the people who were saying that Francis is not the Pope were pointing back across the aisle and saying, you say Francis is Pope? What? You're saying that Christ's promise failed and the church is finished. If a man like that could really be the supreme pontiff, then the office of the papacy is dead. No. It, it meant nothing. You're, that's what you're saying. You're denying the papacy itself. Um, so it comes down to, well, either Francis is not the Pope, on the, on the one side, either Francis is not the Pope, or if he is the Pope, the papacy itself is dead, right? You're killing the papacy because that's what Francis is doing. Or others were saying, what, well, you say Francis is not the Pope, but you're saying that Christ's promise has failed and uh, the church has no Pope and has no prospect of a Pope and therefore you're saying it's all over. And the fact is, neither one of them is saying that. Each one of them is convinced the other is saying that, but neither one of them is really saying that. Yeah. Um, and if they could get together and talk it out rationally and thoughtfully and carefully, but it's a big taboo, you know. Uh, Archbishop Vigano sent a video to the uh, Catholic Identity Conference and, and uh, you know, Michael Matt said, well, it's not, this is not the place to play it because nobody's here ready to discuss this issue. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, the next step would be for Michael Matt to say, well, let's, let's uh, organize a, um, you know, a venue where people will be ready to discuss this issue, but nothing like that has happened yet. Yeah. But the issue will not go away, as Archbishop Vigano has said. And since uh, Archbishop Vigano has spoken out, there are others, again, who come out and they've actually posed the question. Now, unfortunately, they they pose the question in such a way that it it almost makes an answer impossible, right? Um, But uh, at least they're posing the question and if they were to actually sit down and have a rational discussion, I even with people who disagree with them and would point out the fallacy in the argument they might actually get somewhere but until they do that until they actually do just that I don't see them making any real progress toward uniting the clans as he says right yeah um, we're not clams you know we're as though we're going to be quiet about this right mm-hmm. uh, so you can't unite the clams yeah. <laughs> uh, we have to really discuss the difficult things yeah. And uh, rationally, charitably, faithfully. And uh, then only then can you have any hope of uniting traditional Catholics.
1: Yeah. Well, um, for what it's worth, Father, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's uh, there's there's some grace at work here. I mean, as you say, this this question is, I think it's becoming less and less taboo every every day. Um, just this this past week, there was an interesting uh, article that was posted on LifeSite News where. Um, I guess my understanding is that some, some anonymous Novus Ordo priest um, sent in uh, an article, his assessment of, of this papal question, mm-hmm. uh, state of ecumenism question. He um, he sent this in anonymously to Life Site News, and they they posted the text of that uh, of his treatment of that question. And um, I, I thought thought it was very interesting. I mean, I think he um, maybe definitely some things in there that, that we would take issue with but um I think he at least honestly mm-hmm. posed the question and was honestly raising the question honestly tried to find an answer and I think um it, it seemed that he was he was he was of goodwill and that that seems to be uh I think becoming more and more prevalent that this question is being asked more and more and people are really mm-hmm. are searching for answers. Even if we don't agree with their answers, the fact that they're asking the question, that's a big first step as a legitimate question. It's a yeah. very
0: big step going forward. Yeah. And I think it's very ironic that at a time like this, when so many in the Novus Ordo are waking up to re- realize that the problem really does go to the head, right? I mean, this was what we were told at Fatima. But the, the secret the third secret of fatima talked about the crisis in the church that would emanate from the head from the top yeah. right i think people have accepted that largely as being the truth about the third secret
1: well and as
0: people are coming to, to light to, to realize that as you say tom I, I think they're beginning to question that but i guess there's also the anomaly that some traditionalists so-called are, oddly enough, moving the other way, right? You were telling me about this earlier well, and it's... expressing
1: your wonderment. <laughs> is, which
0: I, thought, I thought the way you the way you expressed it was so good. I wish you could repeat that now.
1: actually. Well, it seems, brother, that there's there's kind of, um, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe three different uh, kind, kind of blocks maybe r- right now where uh, we have those in the Novus Ordo, it seems with the more conservative, more traditional, traditionally-minded wing. It seems that they are beginning to... Uh, you know, as you say, question this more and more. It seems that they're coming more and more to the—I won't call it the Society of Saint Pius the Fifth position, but just the traditional Catholic. But Do you
0: think those in the Novus Ordo who still have the
1: faith—they yeah, still have the faith—and they are honestly they're... searching for for answers in Catholic tradition. Um, they're they even saying that they're even referencing Catholic tradition and um, and honestly trying to find traditional Catholic answers. So it seems they're 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 trending more and more towards the real traditional Catholic uh, position. Um, but at the same time, yeah, there are these these traditional Catholics uh, who, um, notably the Society of St. Pius X, who uh, it seems as more and more Novus Ordo Catholics are abandoning the Novus Ordo and embracing tradition, it seems more and more uh, Society of St. Pius X um, faithful, uh, the, their clergy, it seems are more and more supporting, more and more staunchly Boldly supporting the Nova Sordo. Uh, one, one example of this recently that, that came up was that uh, one of the SSPX uh, chapels in, in the state of Florida, they uh, just recently, um, I guess just a matter of days ago this month, and I believe it was October 14th, they, uh, I understand, asked permission and received it from the local Nova Sordo uh, bishop and uh, the pastor at one of their parishes to actually hold the SSPX confirmations in the Nova Sordo parish. Uh, in the Novus Ordo uh, Chapel there, the uh, SSPX Bishop had said the pontifical mass, um, had all of the 60 conf- something confirmations um, in this Novus Ordo Chapel. A tr-
0: actual church, it wasn't a chapel. Right? The chapel it was actually Nova a parish church, church. A
1: parish church, right? church, received permission from the, the Bishop of the Diocese. <laughs> all um, souls right? Thanked them um, for, for being so generous as to let him use use the church. Uh, said, offered his pontifical mass at the Novus Ordo table, um, on the Novus in the Novus Ordo church, and uh... so the the
0: the bishop of the Society of Saint Pius X. said the traditional Latin Mass, the, the Roman rite, and the on Ordo. the Novus Ordo table,
1: mm-hmm.
0: in the Novus Ordo church.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah,
0: and um, had not seemed to have no problem with that.
1: No, no problem. They were they were very very grateful that he went to be so kind as uh-huh. to let them use the large church. The same table where
0: you say where they're ha- you're having the novissimo, sort of, yeah. you know, day yeah. after day after day, right? Yeah. Yeah. Same altar, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. Well, he turned he tried to use it as an altar. It's still a table. Yeah. Heaven only knows if they actually had the relics of martyrs in there, because that was done away with at Vatican too. Yeah. Right. The need for that because now it's not an altar; it's a table. Yeah. So he said the the traditional mass on the table. Mm-hmm Um, it just happened to be on this side of the table instead of that side of the the table, right? Yeah. Okay, and, uh, you know, this is a travesty. And I I see you're right about that, Tom. You're you're right that as you see more and more people in the Novus Ordo, those who still have the faith, realize to their horror that really that modernism is bad for you, (laughs) that modernism is against the faith, and they're recognizing modernism as really being the enemy of the Catholic faith and they're turning against modernism as they now understand it, that the Society of St. Pius X is perfectly willing to go into a modernist church and offer their liturgy on a modernist table. And you know, the the supreme irony of it all is that they probably conditionally confirmed quite a number of those people because the Novus Ordo of Confirmation is doubtful. Archbishop Lefebvre did that all the time as he traveled the world and confirmed there were always a large contingents of those who were being conditionally confirmed because of the doubts about the Novus Ordo Rite of Confirmation. And it wouldn't it be ironic if the Novus Ordo Bishop of that diocese, all souls, parish, let them use his church to have these confirmations when ten. Ten, twenty, maybe thirty people were being conditionally confirmed because the fear was they were not conditionally, they were not validly confirmed in the Novus Ordo in the first place, yeah. and that highlights the problem. I think, um, for me, um, if I, if you were to ask the bishop who did this, the the Pius the tenth bishop who did this, uh, the priests who assist him, and the people, did would they would they say that the Novus Ordo masses, so-called. In that church are valid and that the Blessed Sacrament is really present there, you might have half of them say, yes, they believe that. Maybe all of them would. Maybe the novus ordo bishop himself would say that. And you would ask them, okay, and what are they doing with the Blessed Sacrament? You say you think it's valid. And if it's not valid, what are you doing there in the first place? Why are you sharing that church if they're offering this, you know, invalid liturgy and calling it a mass? But if you think it is valid, then why are you in a church where they're handing out hosts that you think are validly consecrated and particles are strewn all over the floor and drop simple, and you know for a fact you do because as traditional priests you give Holy Communion, you have the cloth, you have the plate, you know that particles fall and this is uh, simply a matter of fact. So why are you stomping around inside a church where you actually think the Blessed but it's being, you, there's a great sacrilege going you. Is the Novus Ordo liturgy is sacrilege or is it not? Is it a sacrilege as it is on the books or at least the way it's done and if it is a sacrilege either way, why are you there doing this? They seem to find a way to justify it and they seem to be moving in the other direction as you pointed out against this whole tide of people awakening to the evils of modernism and the Society of St. Pius X seems to be willing to be more kind of cozy up to it more and more and fail to acknowledge that this modernism is totally inimical to the Catholic faith and destructive of the Catholic faith.
1: Father, I think that's the only logical conclusion of their illogical position. I mean, they've taken this hardline stance on the state of accountism question, and they're left with no out, there, there's no way around this. I mean, if this yeah, is really true. their position, they have to try and do this This confusing mess where they try and be traditional Catholics with, within the framework of, of a mm-hmm. non-Catholic church. Yeah. I mean, now they're literally trying to say a traditional Mass, Catholic Mass, in a non-Catholic Church. Um, well, you know, they...
0: something you said earlier, I think, was very poignant, too. You said that they've been hammering so hard on this, that Francis is the Pope, Francis is the Pope, Francis is the Pope, you can't question it. Yeah. That even now, when you have conservative Novus Ordo people who are awakening to the questioning, Gee, is Francis the Pope? We nearly... That's a serious question. How is the Society of St. Pius XI going to retreat from that? So it might turn out that you have this large number of of conservative New Order Catholics who forsake the Novus Ordo because they now understand that modernism is an evil and is not compatible with their faith. And question whether Francis is or can be a pontiff. Well, the society of Saint Pius X is the one is upholding Francis's papacy and saying, well, of course he's the pope. He must be the pope. You can't question that.
1: No.
0: And wouldn't that be
1: ironic if it if it, it seems to be heading that way, way, Father? I mean, it seems they they could be Francis's last bastion of support. His, his, of support. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's. <laughs> I, I don't know how how any traditional Catholic could not feel totally totally betrayed Mm -hmm. by that i mean every traditional catholic anyone who would call himself a traditional catholic would have to would have to agree with saint pius x that that modernism is the worst enemy the church has ever faced greater than all of the other enemies combined it's the synthesis of all heresies and now we're, we're 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 sharing tables uh with with modernists we're sharing churches with the modernists we are we are propping up the modernist. Now, how can any traditional Catholic not feel totally completely well, betrayed? <clears throat>
0: well, actually, Tom, you know, if you yeah. already said, okay, we're sharing the episcopacy with communist party members in China who are made bishops, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, of the new church, and we want that the new church to recognize our bishops, even as they recognize the communist bishops of China. When you accept that you're all sitting around the same table. You're living you're living in contradiction. Something bad is going to happen. that, that can't
1: that can't hold. But doesn't something have have so. have to give, Father? I mean, this is a totally it, it doesn't it's an irreconcilable position. I mean you cannot, as you said so many times, you cannot be to. a traditional Catholic mm. in the church of, of modernism. There's there's no room for it. So it's either that you lose your traditional Catholic faith and you join you, you embrace the modernist position, or you leave this mm construct, whatever this monstrosity is, that is not the Catholic Church. Is there any other possible outcome of this? The
0: the only Catholic answer is to embrace Catholic tradition. If you are old enough to have grown up in it, return to it. If you're not, find it, hold fast to it. If you still have the faith, uh, I think uh, 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 Dommer expressed it very well, Somebody asked him, Well, where do you start? He said, Start with the catechism. Go back and learn the catechism. And he didn't mean the new catechisms, right? No. He meant the old traditional catechisms. Go back and learn your faith. That's, a, that's the place to start. And if, if you learn your faith, then you'll understand and you'll see where the true Catholic religion is. And it's not with the new order, it's not with the synodal church of Francis, it's with the traditional Catholics no. uh, who have never lost it, never given it up, right? We still hold fast to it. St. Paul told us, too. So in any case, um, that's the answer. But this is a concern we've had. And, you know, what you mentioned about the Society of St. Pius X actually going through with this, this confirmations in the Novus Ordo church itself, right, church structure. I mean, what's the next step? You have the church building, and then you have the church with a capital C, the Novus mm-hmm. Ordo church, and they're actually in that. they they make a point of it by having confirmations in that church yes we are in that church we're part of that church and this has been my concern all along and i know so many people you know who are in with the society of st 5 and that i worry about them not only lay people but clergy too and even um, you know some of the bishops i knew uh personally from my time uh at acone and they're still very important to me i mean I, i i still hope and pray that they will take a stand unequivocally for the true traditional Catholic faith and s- stop this nonsense. But it, it is Archbishop Lefebvre actually, I think, who's, who stated it most clearly in his last interview. And I've, I've asked people to please read Archbishop Lefebvre's words uh, delivered just a couple of months before he passed away in, in 1991. An interview that was um, available in French, the original, but uh, in translation, English translation only for some few years now. But it is available. In fact, one can go to the DRBO website. God bless the man who conducts that. I understand he has cancer. Please pray for him. DRBO.com website. DRBO means Douay Reams Bible Online. It's a great resource. <clears throat> and you look at the bar in the top, And you come to, uh, I guess it's information or something like that, but you click on it, and among the choices are articles. And one of the articles given there is Archbishop Lefebvre's last interview. And you might say that's Archbishop Lefebvre's final statement on all that he had done. And it's very interesting, because he makes it very clear in that last statement that you cannot have a working agreement or a working arrangement with the Novus Ordo. You have to address the doctrinal differences first, he said. Now this he actually did say explicitly to um, the leaders of the SSPX before he died that they must not try to work out some kind of working arrangement with the authorities in the Vatican, the Novus Ordo leadership, without demanding that the doctrinal issues be addressed first modernism synthesis of all heresies he said that had to be solved and resolved but it seems that they are now ignoring his words and plunging ahead into being willing to work out some kind of a well working arrangement with them i think they're being lured into a trap of ecumenism ecumenism from the other direction you know ecumenism you say, okay, we can say that in one church you can have multiple different religions, okay? So let's all work together and let's look toward getting every, all these religions under one big umbrella, big tent, right? And, um, and, and as far as the Novus Ordo is concerned, as far as the modernists is concerned, that would include the Society of St. Pius X. They want to absorb them. They want to absorb them and they can't. The Society of St. Pius X actually could find a place, a niche, in the Novus Ordo pantheon. If they would just make some adjustments. Have your traditional Mass, fine, keep it to yourself. But you have to agree to stop saying that this is a false religion. You have to agree, you can't say and condemn that others are false religions. You have to say, this is your flavor that you like. But you have to agree to be under that big tent with all the others too. With the communist bishops of China, uh, with the Methodists, with the Zoroastrians and so on. You have to agree to be recognized all under the big tent. And if you'll just do that and agree that um, you can be saved by any means, you know, of goodwill, that God wills all religions, there's room for you in the Novus Ordo. And I'm afraid that there right for the picking to, to actually have Francis do that to him. Unless they make a change of course. We have to pray for that. Right. Mm-hmm. Talk about St. Raphael, patron saint of travelers, God's medicine. We need some powerful medicine. We definitely need some powerful spiritual medicine here. But, you know, Francis keeps talking about us being on a journey. Well, uh, this, um, so this journey is a spiritual thing, and it is a matter of St. Raphael. We have to ask St. Raphael himself to uh, use his angelic powers to uh, to guide the, the leaders of the Society of St. Pius X away from the edge of the precipice, right? We have to ask him to guide them away from that danger. Because mm-hmm. they, they seem to want to kind of skirt the edge there for some reason. And that's, that is, uh, well, it's wrong. It's dangerous yeah. um so um you know i, I ask st raphael to to guide them back from that precipice right now mm. in any case tom uh, thank god for giving us to know these great archangels and actually putting them at our service beginning with um uh, for our sakes for the new testament the angel gabriel announcing that to mary the uh, god's plan of salvation through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. There, that must be our focus at all times, right? To be faithful to Christ, no matter what else may happen, to us that are around us. The one thing is to remain faithful to Him, mm-hmm. to Jesus Christ.
1: Well, Father, I would uh, be remiss if I just didn't make one one last point on this. I've um, I've noticed in my my uh, very limited study on on these uh, on these questions and just some of the discussions I've had with other people in regards to this. Yes. Um, antism papal question is that uh, really the the key to all of this I think is is humility um, because it's, it seems that uh the uh, the prevailing viewpoint among so many is that uh, they they have to find some kind of answer they have to have a, a solution for this and I think that leads to so many so many errors because they're just they're they're ripe for the picking almost they're they're looking for for some kind of solution and so they will embrace something that might not even be a, a really traditional Catholic position but I just think with um, the uh, the the priests of the Society Saint Pius the Fifth and and the priest priests that you're associated with Father um, the the biggest difference I've noticed is just that uh, there seems to be so much humility there and that there's just the our priests are humble enough to admit that they don't have all of the answers to this question but with that humility comes such great faith uh, that they have faith in God they have faith that God will restore his church and in his time and in his manner and in his ways and I think it's it's really um attractive just to see that you well, I think, I think that if you
0: were to Excuse me of humility. There are people out there who would be very amused by that, okay? <laughs> so I cannot claim, I I can lay no claim to, to that humility. Conviction, yes. Faith, I would certainly hope so. But I, I think the point you raise is a very good point. You know, there are people who, who point at, at, at me and say, well, you question Francis' papacy, so you're, you're even questioning Christ himself and Christ's promise. I say, no, I'm not. They say, well, if what you're saying is actually true, then the church is finished. Or do you have some other solution? How would you solve that problem? Yeah. I mean, if Francis is not the pope, and these cardinals are not cardinals, and they can't elect another pope, then you're basically saying that the church has come to an end, yeah. You know, run yeah. off the rails and so on. And the church is finished. That's what you're saying. And I'm saying, no, I'm not saying that. <laughs> well, what is your solution? And I'd have to say, I don't have one. And frankly, I don't need one because it's not my church and it's not up to me to save the church. I realize that. There are those who talk as though it's up to them to save the church. And that's a big mistake, as you say. But I, it's not my church, it's Christ's church. Okay, And he has to save it, and he alone can do so. He alone has the power to give the graces necessary to turn this around. And, uh, and he will. But that's where faith comes in see i don't have to see the solution i don't have to see the signs and wonders in order to believe i believe i believe that jesus christ has the power and will use that power to save the church and no matter how dire the situation may be or become i believe that he is our lord jesus christ the king our lord and savior the son of god and he has the power to, to overcome all of this, and that when he actually does so, I'm, I'm sure that everyone will say, "Wow, I, I didn't see that coming," <laughs> <laughs> you know, because it's it's a divine power that he will use to rescue all of this—a power you and I not only don't have, but we can't even imagine. Yeah. Now, you know, I would say to the sedevacantists and the anti-sedevacantists, look, <clears throat> you know, you don't have to be able to envision the outcome and how God is going to turn all this around if Francis is the pope or not the pope you don't have to you don't have to figure out how how we're going to get from here to the to the to the correct end to solve all these problems you don't have to do that in fact i would say it's pretty much impossible for you to even envision how that's going to happen because it is going to be a matter of supernatural grace, by definition, it's above the power of human beings to devise solution to powers they can't even understand. But this is what Christ has, and this is what we must believe, absolutely. You know, when when our Lord died and was buried, the Apostles could not imagine how this could turn out right. They could not imagine how God was going to solve this, even though our Lord told them he was going to rise from the dead. It just seemed out of the question. Beyond the scope of their imagination. Even Peter fought with our Lord over that, right? Denying that it would happen, right? And it took our Lord a while to convince him of the truth of it. But it was true. And we have to have that same kind of faith right now that Christ has the power. He had the power to rise from the dead. And he could even raise the church from the dead if he had to. He has that power right now. So no matter what anybody may say, okay, if you don't have the solution in your mind as to how this can work out, then you're saying the church is done for. And I say, that's exactly the opposite. That's exactly the opposite of the truth. Uh, My problem is, you think that you have to have an idea of how this can all actually work out. Otherwise, you say, it's over, because you can't understand it. And because I can't explain it to you, you think I'm saying that. What I'm saying is... Christ is the Lord of, of history, the, 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 and he in, all things are made in him, by him, through him, and the church was established by him, and it is his church, and he and he alone has the power to save it, and he will, and I have absolute confidence that he will, and that's what we need now. We need to have that faith. There are a lot of people who are abandoning the church because they don't have that faith, because they can't see how this can be fixed. But that's why faith, that's what makes faith, faith, right? That's the whole point of having faith to begin with. So we have to have that faith, though. And if I may add uh, one thing uh, to what you said here. One of the hallmarks, by the way, of the traditional Catholic position is something you will hardly ever see, if ever, in the Novus Ordo. And that is purgatorian societies, praying for the souls in purgatory. You know, you, you have these Novus Ordo liturgies, the, the, the uh, Mass of the Resurrection, and they talk about how, you know, old Fred is teeing off on the, uh, you, know, in the, 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 for the you know, hitting a drive to the 19th green right now, or whatever, you know, whatever they're, they're saying. They, they, they almost make a farce out of it, you know. Um, but very seldom, if ever, does a Novus Ordo clergyman say, pray for the soul of so-and-so, because they're probably in purgatory, and we have to ask God to have mercy on them. And you know, that is one of the hallmarks of the traditional Catholic, all the traditional Catholic societies and faith and so on, that we all are begging people to pray for the souls in purgatory. And the Immaculate Heart of Mary Church out in, in Montana, there's actually a Purgatorian in society that is started out of there. There are a number of them around, actually. And uh, some of them in, involving, you know, a handful of people, some of them growing into large, large, large groups of people throughout the country, even throughout the world. But uh, at the Immaculate Heart of Mary Purgatorian Society, they're, they're actually trying to get as many people as they can to enroll and to dedicate some of their day, every day of their lives, for the, for the sake of the souls in Purgatory. And I can't... Uh, overemphasize the importance of this. And um, the people can contact us. We should put this on the website, this contact. But if people want information, and I hope they do, because I would dare say every one of us here probably has some soul whom God has given us the blessing to know on earth who is now in purgatory. And so every one of us has a vested interest, so to speak, in praying for the souls in purgatory. Our parents, Brothers, sisters, grandparents, could be many people. So if people would just contact IHM, this is the website address: IHM Purgatorian. Okay, IHM. I think it's IHM dot. Oh, here it is. I, I actually wrote it down, and let me just tell you what I wrote here. I think it says IHM um, dot Purgation. P-U-R-G-A-T-I-O-N at gmail.com. Okay, that's what I wrote down. I hope that's correct. But we'll post it on the website. And I do do encourage people, especially now that we're going into November, the month of the poor souls, to look that up. Contact them out at Immaculate Heart of Mary uh, Church out in uh, Montana, Black Eagle, Montana. And... um, join their voices to God uh, asking for mercy for the poor souls. Very good. So
1: well, Father, thanks for all that. Another great show tonight. Appreciate it.
0: Well, you, Tom, thank you. Do I think we covered week. a few topics. Just
1: a few, Father. It's very good. though. Thank you. Well, Father, God bless you. We'll see you next week.
0: Thank you very much. And by the way, if I may, before we sign off, let's give a a note of thanks to Brian Arlinghouse, the owner of a local restaurant, who put the no on issue one sign outside his restaurant, mm-hmm. resulting in the entire staff quitting, <laughs> threatening threatening to quit and walk out on him, unless he took the sign down? And he wouldn't because he believed it was the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. So that took a lot of courage. God bless him for that. Would that others would follow his good example in that. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely.
0: Uh, so uh, it's something to say that quite a number of the staff returned the next morning and said well we like working here <laughs> evidently and so but he was willing to to uh, accept that uh yeah rather than uh, betray his principles and his loyalty to our lord yeah. so god bless him for that
1: yep yeah, absolutely thank you to all of our viewers for watching this episode of what catholics believe